Our New Testament reading today comes from Romans chapter 11. I think many of us will find it familiar. This is Romans 11 beginning in verse 33. Hear the word of the Lord. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I can't remember who said this. I was trying to find it this week. I was searching online. I just can't find this quote exactly. Maybe somebody will know it. But there was some famous preacher or, or well-known Christian uh, that I once heard quoted as saying this, show me a man's life and I will tell you what he believes about God. Show me a man's life and I will tell you what he believes about God. The idea being that uh, whether you, you say it or not, whether it's what you consciously think you believe or not, uh, the way that you live is really where we see what exactly you believe about God. Your life tells us what you think of him and who you think he is and what kind of world he has made. And today we're going to be focusing on the manifold abundance of God that's evident in creation and redemption. And we're doing that because we've come to the eighth commandment in our series on the Ten Commandments. You shall not steal. And maybe you think to yourself, what does the abundance of God have to do with whether or not I should steal? To which the answer is everything. If you don't understand the kind of God that we have, if you have a false view of what he's like, you're not going to fully understand what these Ten Commandments are for, what they teach us. You're not going to fully understand why they were given to us. These ten words or ten commandments that we've been focusing on, they flow out of the character of God. They're not disconnected from it. And what is God like? Well, obviously there's so much that we could say. But as we look at this question through Romans 11, 33 to 36, we're, we're jumping in at the end of, you know, all the rest of Romans building to this point as, as Paul has described the glory of salvation and, and all that God has done for his people. He's He's just, more recently in the context, spoken of this mystery of Gentiles being grafted into Israel, that even Israel's disobedience and unbelief God was using to graft in others into that commonwealth. And he gets to the end, 
just before he kind of shifts gears into what is maybe more practical teaching. And it's almost as though he just bursts forth with this proclamation of the character of God, this exclamation. He, he just speaks out all of a sudden on the character of God. All the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. He is infinitely wise. He is infinitely good. And it was out of the the depth of his great wisdom and knowledge that he's made all things. In this way, everything that exists is imbued with or reflects something of his character. Something of his greatness. Jumping down, he says, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Well, the obvious answer is no one. Everything that God has is his. And everything that is belongs to him. So he doesn't accumulate like we do. He doesn't grow like we do. He doesn't have to add to his portfolio. He doesn't have to acquire things. He simply has all. He owns everything. For from him and through him and to him are all things, everything that is. Everything that was made by him and from him, everything that was made through the Son, everything has its ultimate direction point in him. Everything is ultimately pointed toward him. It all declares something of his grandness. Everything. And we have such a a limited view of things. We have such an impoverished mindset. But God would have you know that All things belong to him. And so we declare, we say with Paul, to him be glory forever. Amen. Our sermon text today is Exodus 20, verse 15, but I'm going to read from the beginning of chapter 20 through that point. So we hear again these words. Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. This is God's holy and infallible word for us this morning. Imagine with me for a moment that you are working on a puzzle with someone else. There's two of you working on this puzzle. And there's an open space and you both have a piece. The person that you're working with goes to put their piece down into the open space and it clearly doesn't fit. Right? It's clearly not the right one. The holes are in a totally different place. It's kind of a different shape altogether as the spot. You look at it and you think, that's, I don't even think that piece is from this puzzle. Right? It's a wrong color. It doesn't fit. But they proceed to just keep jamming it into the spot. Right? They just keep pushing it into that spot as if it's going to fit. Right? The piece is bending up and it's wrecking the rest of the puzzle, but they just keep pushing. I know there's some of you in here that all of a sudden you have so much anxiety, right? You're just like, ah, I know there's some puzzlers in here. Well, think about creation as though it were a kind of puzzle and the law as a piece of that puzzle. I think that there are some of you that when you hear the law, when you think about the law, you think that it's the kind of puzzle piece that doesn't fit. And that God is the kind of God that still is just trying to jam it in there. Just make it fit. Just force it on you even though it doesn't work. It doesn't fit. But that's not true at all. That's not how it is. God doesn't give these commandments arbitrarily. He doesn't just decide, well, I guess we'll just do these ones. They don't really fit, but that's okay, because I'm God, and I'll just push them in. That's not how he works. He isn't some kind of egomaniacal micromanager that's just trying to ruin your life. He isn't the drill sergeant trying to find anything that he can to fault you with, to break you down. These words, these commandments are not chosen at random. They flow out of his character, out of who he is. And if they flow out of his character, it means that they're consistent with the, the whole way of life that we find in creation. They fit in creation because he made everything. Right? All things are from him. And so, in fact, it does all fit. It all works together. 
This is why so many theologians over the years, including men like John Calvin, have understood the Ten Commandments as really a kind of expression of what we sometimes call natural law. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. This principle, you, you find it all across the world, all around the world, whether or not a people has received the gospel, this is still there, this idea. Because there's a way in which it's, it's natural. It's consistent with the way the world is, with the way it works. And that's because God made the world. And these laws come from him. He gives these commandments. And, in fact, he made you. Which means that even when you think that all God is doing in giving these things is just trying to constrain you from doing something that otherwise you think would be good, or he's keeping you from some kind of provision or joy, that he's forcing something on you that doesn't fit... That's, that's not right. The God who made all things and gave this law also made you. He knows what it is that you need. It is good for you. It's good for the world. It's good because it comes from a good God. So it's important that we see that as we, as we read these commands. And so to really grasp what it means when God says, you shall not steal... You need to recognize that it's inconsistent with the character and nature of God to steal, to take. So it would be helpful for us, coming to the Eighth Commandment, to meditate on the abundant generosity of God. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. You shouldn't steal because... Our God is abundant. Think first about how abundant our God has shown himself to be in creation. The very act of creation, the very fact that he did create at all shows this, is evidence of this. Because God doesn't need anything. God was not lacking something, and that's why he created. He wasn't thinking, you know, I'm really just not fulfilled. I need to make something else. God is completely self-existent, totally complete. He is without any need. And yet, he still delighted in making. In making things that reflect who he is and in making you who would share in his image who would be able to look out at all of the good things that he made and think wow like isn't he amazing isn't he marvelous to look at a sunset and say oh lord my god how majestic is your name in all the earth he simply wanted to share of himself to give to show forth his power and might, his holiness and love, his wrath and his grace. And when he set out to do this, when he made all that is, he didn't make a world that is bland. 
right? He didn't make a world that was all gray. No, instead he made a world that's full of color everywhere, right? All kinds of colors, so many that you can't even see them all, right? You're not able to perceive all of them. And he made the world with all kinds of different textures. I don't know a better word. I, but just like look around you, just think about all the different feel of things. I know this sounds weird. It sounds like it's just like the ravings of a madman. But seriously, think about it. We don't think about it because we're just used to it all. I was writing this sermon. I was, I was at a coffee shop looking out a window. And outside in front of me, there was, you know, things made out of wood. And, and there were rocks all over the place. Just think about the different feel of, of those two things. There was a sidewalk and there are these, you know, metal cars going by and there's the glass of the window itself and all these things so different and yet they all kind of work together. They all fit together somehow. Think about all of the, you know, smells and the, the tastes, all of the sounds in the world. Right? It's not a bland world. Couldn't God have been a little more practical in creation? Couldn't he have been a little less extravagant? No. No, he created out of his infinite wisdom and goodness, his power, his creativity. And it shows itself all over, all of it, everything. It's displaying something about him we, we, you know, we will make up all kinds of, you know, different scientific words to describe things, which is maybe fine, but then we just imagine that we've, like, explained it all. Everything just makes sense. But the, the world is, is just strange, right? It's, it's interesting. Even imagine that, you know, some alien came down onto our planet and, and you were tasked with describing to them what a tree is. Just imagine you had to describe a tree to somebody that didn't, had no idea what a tree was. Okay, well, it's, I don't know, it's like a cylindrical thing and it's, it's made out of wood. Well, what's wood? I don't know, right? It's, I don't know, it's kind of a hard substance, except sometimes it's a lot softer and, and it's surrounded by this, this bark. What's, like, what is that? I don't know, it's like, it's this really hard surface, uh, and, and it's really thick, and it protects the tree, but also, I mean, sometimes it's thinner, and just kind of rough, and sometimes it's super thin, and it's like paper and white. It's like, what, that sounds like totally different things. Nope, like, it's all, this is all talking about trees, right? And they had, have leaves on their branches. Well, what's, a, what's that? I don't know, it's like a flat green thing, and it somehow eats the sunlight or something, and it causes a tree to grow and they all they're all different shapes they're all different sizes and sometimes they have needles it's like needles like what are you talking about this is all trees this is just a tree and that's true of almost everything right it's god could have made a world where there's just a tree a kind of tree he didn't why not because it he's the kind of god that wanted to make all kinds of trees so many you don't even know about all of them there are some that you would see now and you'd be like, I don't think that is a tree. But it is, because that's what he's like. God made the world to display his abundance. And he made you. Right? He, he made you to experience it, to, to see it in different ways. He made people 
all kinds of different people that, that all, all look different and sound different and think differently and can, can you know, notice things that are, are different about the world, experience it in their own way. God made a, a world with just an just abundance of difference in design. Just think, I mean, it's just, it just, you know, if you look around the room, just think about how you know, different we all look. We're all made different, different voices, different faces. We were at Clearwater Presbyterian Church, uh, like I said this past week, those who were on the fall retreat and and I do a podcast with Pastor Matt up there, and he said afterwards, somebody came up to him and said, hey, was that Michael, like, from the podcast? And he said, yeah, yep, that, was, that was him. He was like, I thought so, because he looked like what his voice sounds like. And I don't know if that was a compliment or not. <laughs> but the very next day, we were doing this podcast, we were live streaming it, and somebody commented, uh, I'm not sure how I feel knowing what you guys look like. <laughs> And I, so now I'm more confused, but like, just think about that, right? Like there are, there are people who, to you, they sound kind of goofy. They look kind of goofy. We all maybe think that of, of different people. And God was, he decided, this is what I want to make. I want to make all these people that look different. And part of that is, is make us so we, we perceive things slightly differently. Similarly, Right? There, there is an objective world that we're all looking at, and yet we look at it very differently. We, we are able to experience things very differently. And so this, this abundance is on display all around you, right? given to you, even given to you in, a, in an individual sort of way. It's existential riches. The manifold existential wealth of God. All of it just shared with you. Given to you. Every moment. All around you. Right? Do you see it? Do you recognize it like that? Right? And some of you have been blinded to this. Either because of unbelief that can do it. Or simply being enculturated uh, by a world that is unbelieving. Or even just being so overwhelmed by sin that you can't can't even look up and just see the the grace and kindness and abundance of God all around you. I was teaching a Bible class at a a local Christian school just a few years back, and uh, at one point I said something like, man, even just to be alive, just to exist, is just such such a grace, like such a blessing, like that's, this is so much better than, you know, winning the lottery. You, you just, you get to experience life, and 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 live and somebody in the class this is you know like teenagers you know you're you're supposed to be full of life and vigor and and somebody said well it's not good for everyone to live and I thought what do you mean it's not good well of course it is right aren't you breathing this air right? aren't you seeing all of these colors isn't your heart beating Right? And so you're receiving gift after gift after gift every moment. Right? So much, you can't even possibly give thanks for it all. You can't possibly comprehend it all. Right? What do you mean it wouldn't be good to exist? But that's a common sentiment, isn't it? That's actually really common, especially in our unbelieving, wealthy, decadent society. And yes, it's true that sin has tainted the world. 
It's true that sin is destructive, but life is still good. That can't be taken away. There is grace all around you at every moment. Now, of course, if you live in sin and you rebel against God, if you refuse his grace, of course, things are going to go poorly. Of course, things will be bad for you. But that doesn't mean that life is bad, that existence is bad. It means that you need to change, right? It means that you're being cut off from that life. So creation itself, as it is, objectively, is overflowing with the abundance of God with the generosity and kindness of God. And how much more is our God abundant in his work of redemption? Not only has he given us the the beauty, the provision of creation, the goodness of, of simply existing, but he has done far more. As we turned our back on him, he kept giving He gave more. He gave himself. He gave his only begotten son to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And we wouldn't have time to mention all of the blessings that we have as we are united to Christ by faith. But let's meditate on some of them. Paul says in Ephesians 1 that as you are united to Christ, as you are in Christ, you have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. All of them, right? You have all of them already in Christ. You've been made a partaker in the divine life, united to the Son, so much so that you have been brought up into the eternal love and fellowship of God himself. You become a member of his family, a co-heir with Christ of everything that is his rightful inheritance, which is as everything. You've been promised treasures in heaven, a crown of glory. And even now in this life, Jesus has promised that he would provide for you everything that you need, and then some. You know, even in a loss of worldly goods, you still receive. You still receive the comfort and joy of the Holy Spirit. You still, you still have. You receive opportunity to grow. You're given even when things are taken away. Of course, sometimes you might not recognize that provision, right? Because you're thinking only in worldly terms, in terms of of fleshly desires. So maybe God takes your home or your friends or your money, right? He he takes that image that you've kind of built up in front of other people. He takes it all away. But whatever God takes... He takes only in order that he might give something more lasting. At least for you who are in Christ, it's true. If you're outside of Christ, then you may just lose. You're just going to keep losing. But in Christ, everything is a gift, even when God takes. Right? He does this in order that he might make you the kind of person that can better see his provision, can better receive his gifts. But you need eyes of faith to see it. 
Right, so the apostles, you know, if, if you think about uh, the apostles in the book of Acts when they're arrested, and you just kind of do like a pattern recognition, okay, the first scene you see is men being arrested in the street, and the next scene is them being thrown into a, a kind of dungeon prison cell, and the next scene is them in this gloomy, dark, horrible place, they're really hungry, they don't have anything that they would be comfortable with, and they're chained to the wall, What's the next scene? Right, we think, well, maybe the next scene is, you know, kind of weeping. Maybe it's, you know, they're kind of, they're, they're just complaining about their situation. Maybe they think, oh, this is just unjust. No, the next scene is they're singing. They're like, while we're here, why don't we, you know, why don't we work out that song we've been working on? They just start singing praise. That's what they do. Because even in getting, you know, taken away, something taken from them, the comforts of this life, they knew that they were receiving gifts from God. But again, we don't always see it. We don't, we don't value things as we're supposed to. I saw a, a video within the last couple weeks that I don't know how I saw it, I just saw it. Maybe you've seen this. But it's a guy sitting down with, it must have been a, a three or four year old little boy. And he sets before him a stack of cash, thousands of dollars, and then on the other side, he puts two Oreos. And he says, okay, which one do you want? And the kid just grabs the Oreos, right? Like he's just, he grabs them as fast as he can. And the guy says, okay, well, wait, you know, just wait, because there's, you know, there's a lot of money. And he kind of holds him back. He says, really think about it. Which one of these two things do you want? And he still grabs the Oreos. He didn't know the value of the things in front of him. He had not yet learned that. Right? And that's what we're like a lot of the time. We take cheap things, the less important things, things that aren't even necessarily bad, but they're not the most important things. And when God takes those away and he puts before us rather peace of conscience, an opportunity to grow in faith, true freedom from the cares of the world, communion with him, opportunities to be comforted so that we can then comfort others with that comfort that we've received. All we see instead is he's just taking, right? He just took away from me because we don't see the value of what he's placing in front of us. There's far more available to you than just money. In his work of redemption, God has given you his Holy Spirit, Right? His abiding presence that can't be taken away from you. It can't be removed from you. Right? Someone could take your home. They could take your savings. They could take your job. They could take some of these things from you. They can't take the presence of God away from you. You're wealthy beyond belief. And it's not even as though God has shared these gifts this abundance and graciousness with just a, a, a handful of people. He didn't get 12 disciples and say, all right, we don't, we don't want anybody else to experience this because we don't want it to lose its value somehow, right? We, we got to keep it closed. No, he, he got more disciples and more. He continued to gather people to himself. He told those disciples that you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to go speak of this good news of my grace and my abundance to all of Jerusalem, this city, and all of Judea and Samaria, the regions around, and all of the world. 
He said, you are going to disciple all the nations. And God is so free and lavish with his grace, with this proclamation of the gospel, that we're always wanting to add something to it because we're worried that he's just going to give away the store. Right? We, want to, we want to put something else with it. Well, he's gracious, but not, I mean, maybe not that gracious. Right? We want to add something else to it. This has always been a problem. People want to hedge his offer of salvation. Well, it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't just go to anybody. And then Jesus comes and he's eating with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes as if he would just give his grace to anyone that humbled themselves. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. That's just how he just gives. God has given and given and given, and then he just keeps, keeps giving. That's what he's like. That's his character. And it's on display throughout creation all around you. It's on display in his saving work as he has redeemed you. So when you steal, you are lying about the true character of God. You're saying that he isn't who he says he is, what creation says he is, what redemption says he is. When you're fearful that God won't provide what you need, worried about the future so you have to take things into your own hands, you're saying that God's not the kind of God that is abundant in provision, that he can't be relied upon to take care of your needs. And yet he takes care of the sparrows, right? Do you know what sparrows are? Sparrow, they're, like, they're like the mice of the sky, right? They're not, they're not something special. They're not the songbirds. They're not, they're not something that we think is great. God even cares for them. His eye is even on them. When you're withholding from others because you're anxious that there won't be enough left for you, you're showing that you think that God doesn't have enough for everyone. But he's a God that can feed a multitude with nothing more than a few loaves and fish. He's a God that made the kind of world that you can just take one little seed and you just have to put it in the ground and then you just need water and sunlight, which just comes down from the sky, and it will grow. And if it uh, is attended with his blessing, and it grows and it bears fruit, each of those fruit then is full of those seeds, right? Just this abundance in every single piece of fruit. An overwhelming abundance in every seed, as long as it's attended with the blessing of God. When you're stingy or miserly with your children or with those in need or, or in your giving, right, you're saying that, well, God hasn't given enough. Or out of greed, you're showing that, that you think your life and your provision, what comes from the almighty dollar rather than almighty God. When you try to cheat others in business, when you cut corners on your work just to save money, you're saying that God has made the kind of world where if you do well for someone else, it's only a net negative for you. That you're just going to lose. You just lose out on money. So you have to make and keep every last penny in every way that you possibly can, even if it means cutting corners. Even if it means less good for those around you. 
right? Or you're showing that you believe that the purpose of everything that you do is in fact just growing that number in your bank account, right? That's the, that's the ultimate purpose. That's the final end of all. As if meaning and purpose in life was derived from just numbers on a balance sheet, from little pieces of paper. Right? If that is all that life is about, then those kids were right, right? Existence doesn't matter. It's not good to exist. It is purposeless if that's the case. But God made a world where to give is better than to receive because that's what he does. That's what, who he is. He's a giving God. And when you do well for others, when you seek the good of others in every business deal, in everything that you make, and you seek to create real value rather than simply getting maximum profit, you will be rewarded because that's the kind of world you live in. Now, the reward might not be monetary, but it will be the reward of self-respect, of a clean conscience, of love of your work. It's a reward of right relationships and of knowing that you have a heavenly Father that is pleased with you, that smiles upon you, that loves what you do. You steal in these and other ways because you don't know God as you should. As you contemplate then and meditate on the goodness of God, on the absolute abundance of his character, you begin to recognize that he has imbued everything with that kind of a character. And you as a Christian are to have a kind of spiritual abundance mindset because you worship an abundant God, right? Giving abundantly all that you ask of him, all that you need, and even things you don't even think to ask of, he just gives. You know, there are plenty of people who have become incredibly wealthy by being thieves in different ways, by cutting corners, by harming others. And they're unhappy, right? They have all the wealth, and yet they're unhappy with that wealth. And at the same time, you can find people all around the world who, in the world's terms, have nothing, right? They're poor as dirt, and they're giving thanks to God for the dirt, right? Isn't it amazing? Right? Isn't this wonderful? Right? They give thanks because God has given everything. They're thankful. That is the heart of a Christian. Right? To be full of joy, even when they have what seems to be nothing. Because we know that we have been given everything. All is available to you. Existential riches all around you. Always available in and through Jesus Christ. So when you see it, when you know our abundant God, you then recognize how completely inconsistent it would be to steal, to be a thief. Would you pray with me? Lord God, teach us your grace and abundance. Don't allow us to uh, think of you as so little that you can't provide, but teach us rather that you are a God who provides all things and that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. 
Give us eyes of faith to see, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.